It, it is, it's always nice to come back to Hayward's Heath. I don't know if you feel the same. Maybe not. <laughs> but I, I quite enjoy it. Um, we left Hayward's Heath at the beginning of 2007. Um, the last time I was here, a few years ago, you asked me to preach and we were late. And then you haven't asked me since. <laughs> and so I, I was a bit worried. I thought, oh, I've, I've burnt my bridges there. But it's, it's nice to be back. We, my wife, Ruth, and I are currently in um, Canterbury. I'm working for a church there um, as uh, an associate Bible teacher, which I don't know what that is, but <laughs> I do it, apparently. And uh, it's a... A privilege to be asked to preach and to be back here and to see so many of you who uh, I remember and uh, prob probably remember me in one way or another. Um, so thank you for that. And I gather for your sort of preaching series, you're uh, making your way through a book um, called Incomparable. I think it's by Andrew Wilson. And I was given a topic based on one of the chapters and a verse from uh, Isaiah to read. So just a bit of context about the verse before I read it. Isaiah 33, verse 22. Um, it comes in a part in Isaiah where the prophet Isaiah is um, uh, speaking of the, the hope that they have because things aren't going well for Israel at this time. And this is a chapter where he's talking about the hope that the nation has, and as, as James has already talked about, the hope, their hope is in God. Their hope is in God. And the verse, Isaiah 33, verse 22, I'm reading from my NIV version, is this. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. So that's the verse. And the topic I was given was God is judge. So the, the chapter from the book, Incomparable, God is judge. And that was the topic I was given. And uh, I read the chapter. I was quite impressed that he managed to keep it to just like four pages. It's quite a short chapter. Um, and because this topic for me, God is judge, that's quite big. I don't know what you think when you hear that phrase, God is judge, what kind of thoughts you have, what kind of emotions it stirs up in you. It's quite a big thing to say, quite a big phrase. And I think it can be shaped by so many things, shaped by our experiences mostly of justice. And because we live on this planet, our experiences of injustice. That's what we experience, justice and injustice, and our view of judge and judges and judgment are shaped by that, I think as human beings, we kind of have an instinct for justice. We have never really had to teach any of our children, you know, um, kind of to feel unjustly treated. They pick that up themselves. We're very sensitive, I think, to justice. But that does extend to kind of outwards as well, where you look at the world and we can just sense when something is not right. I don't know if you watch a film or read a book and it's one of those films or books where the villain sort of gets away with it in the end and you can kind of feel a bit unsatisfied with the way the story ends because we like justice and we are, 
you know, some of us are sensitive to loud noises, some of us are sensitive to bright lights. I think human beings, we're all sensitive to justice, uh, most of us anyway, especially when it concerns how we've been treated. And I think our experience and our understanding of this idea, God as judge, God is judge, will be shaped by our experiences of injustice and justice in our own lives. If we've experienced a lot of injustice, this idea that God is judge, it might give us hope because we may think, well, justice will come. But it may also annoy us. It may make us feel angry because we think if God is judge, then why has, have I experienced so much injustice? Why have so many hard things happened to me? But I think when we think of this idea, God as judge, we have to put aside our experiences of justice in this life, our experiences of justice in this world, because they are inadequate. They're not even a glimpse of what it means, I think, for God to be a judge. In the book, Incomparable, uh, Andrew Wilson makes the point that this verse makes in Isaiah, that in, in our society, our justice system is kind of divided up between different organizations. And we have judges, but their role is to maybe interpret the law and sort of determine whether it's been broken and apply punishments if it has. But judges don't make the laws. In this country, parliament makes the laws. Judges don't also run around the streets arresting people and, you know, gathering evidence to bring before the courts. That's what the police system does. So that's how it works in our society. But in this verse in Isaiah we've read, we read that God is our judge, but also he is our lawgiver. He is our king. So God fills all those roles. He makes the rules, he enforces them, he judges whether they've been broken or not, he applies the consequences if appropriate. There are no checks and balances in the kingdom of God. God has everything. God holds it all. Now in our society, that's, that would be a concern if sort of one person, one power held all the power because of the... Uh, corruption in our world or the mistakes that people sometimes people just make mistakes but God cannot be manipulated God cannot be tricked God cannot be outsmarted he cannot be misguided he cannot be mistaken in how he applies these things how he judges in our world attempts to give justice are sometimes well often inadequate or flawed and I'm sure we all know people, or maybe not know them directly, we all read in the news or we're all aware that there are people who are very good at doing things that are unethical or immoral, but they stay within the law. And as a result, they are not criminals. They've not broken any laws. There is no judgment made on their behavior. But Imagine a judge, imagine if there was a judge who says, well, you have not broken the law, that is correct, but I made that law, and I know why I made that law. I know the intention behind that law. I know what it was supposed to do and why it's there, and I know that you've broken the spirit of that law. You may not have broken the letter of the law, but you've broken the spirit 
of that law and I find you guilty as judge. And I think this is how God handles his role as judge. He doesn't just apply the law, he applies the intentions of the law. He applies the meaning behind the law. We see this in the New Testament often where Jesus is challenged by the Pharisees for breaking the law of the Sabbath. That's one of the things that comes up so many times. There's a, a, an interesting story in the Gospels where there's a man carrying his mat because Jesus has healed him. He's been sitting on his mat. Jesus healed him. He's carrying his mat and the Pharisees stop him and say, why are you carrying your mat on the Sabbath? That's against the law. And he says, well, you know, the man who healed me told me to pick up and carry my mat. And then the Pharisees challenge Jesus, why are you healing on the Sabbath? That's against the law. There, there's a time where Jesus and his disciples are walking uh, through a, a field and the disciples are hungry so they get some of the, the um, crop from the field to eat and the Pharisees say you shouldn't be doing that, that's work, that's harvest on the Sabbath. And Jesus' response to this is that the Sabbath is created for, for man, for people, not man for the Sabbath. The law is created for the benefit of the people, not people created just to keep and maintain the law. And there's a conflict in Jesus' life between those who do not understand why God gave the laws, what was behind the laws, what their purposes were, and Jesus, who is well aware of those things. I think this is how God acts as judge. You and I, when we make judgments, we can only really judge people's actions. We can only really judge people by what they do. But God can judge the heart. God can judge the intention behind actions. He can make judgments based upon what's going on inside us that no one else sees, that no one else knows. He reads between all the lines. He takes all the extenuating circumstances into account and he judges based not whether or not you've kept the letter of the law, whether or not you've kept the letter of his commands, but whether you have kept the spirit of those commands, whether you have honoured the intention of the call that God has made on your life. And when you stop and think about it, this actually can sound a bit scarier than how we're used to justice working in our lives and judgments being made in our lives. Because, you know, the laws in our society can be quite clear. You know, you've got a speed limit. You're either over it or under it. That's it. We don't, we're not asked whether you intended to break the speed limit. Or why, you know, you're necessarily breaking the speed limit. And it can be quite intimidating to think, well, maybe God judges by those things under the surface. Well, that's scary because sometimes laws can be quite clear. And if we have to sort of guess what God's intentions are, doesn't that make it harder? And in one sense, it's harder. But in another, it's not. Because I think God's intentions are very clear. I think what God values is very clear. I think he makes that very clear throughout the Bible. He may, he's made it very clear what's important to him, what's on his heart, how he makes judgment, what he looks for in his children, how he thinks we should live, and therefore how we would keep the commands he sets 
and be judged by him accordingly. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, a passage I'm sure many of you know very well, I think explains it. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. And I don't want to tread on the toes of whoever's preaching next. Because I think the next chapter in the book is God is love. And uh, I'll probably annoy whoever's preaching next. I don't know who that is. Um, if I talk too much about the idea of God being love. But I think this is a crucial idea. Because you know, God is judge is kind of like describing something that God does. It's describing a role. But God is love is describing who he is. It's describing his characteristics. It's describing his quality. And that quality of love colours and motivates everything that God does. So we cannot speak about God being a judge without bearing in mind that his actions as judge, what he expects as a judge, is undergirded by the fact that he is love. That it is love that is important to him. That it is love that he is looking for. That's the command Jesus gives his disciples. Love one another. Indeed, as Isaiah tells us in the verse we read, God is judge, God is lawgiver, God is king, and he is the one who saves us. He is the one who demonstrates how to live an obedient life that fulfilled what God asked of us. And he did this himself in Christ. This is what Christ does for us. Christ models what is important to God. What God values, what God is looking for in those who want to, to, uh, want to serve him. And in doing so, it gives us not just a hint, but a, a clear picture of how God judges, what God judges to be important, and therefore God, how God will carry out his role as judge. God's role as judge, yeah, I think, is less to do with how well have you followed the rules or the laws, and more to do with how well have you loved. How well have you loved in your life? How well have you loved God? How well have you loved others? I think that's what God is looking for. I think we should be full of hope that God is judge. Because I think it means that eventually all will be well. All will be made right. Every wrong will be righted. Everything put in its place. But I think we should be mindful of the fact that God does not judge. He will not carry out his role as judge the way our society makes judgment. The way our culture works and judges. Or the way our legal system works. God judges by his own rules. And he makes those rules clear. He makes what's important to him clear. Now I've heard it said that 
you know, everyone wants to serve God, but mostly in an advisory capacity. And I think what is wiser and what the Bible calls us to do is to seek God's heart, to discern what matters to him. Let him advise us and live accordingly. And in that way, we will, I think, keep the spirit of his commands. We will please him as a judge. Now, it can be difficult to kind of get your head around, I think, what's important to God, especially when the world has so many things it tells us are important. And I thought, well, I've got a story I can tell to kind of illustrate this. I heard this story many years ago, and then I was looking through my notes, and I discovered that I've actually told this story before at Hayward Heath Baptist Church <laughs> on the 2nd of April, 2006. So some of you may have heard it before. I'd be very surprised if you remember it, because I'm not a very memorable person. But uh, here's the story. And I think this illustrates for me, this story touched me when I first heard it, because I think it really captures what is on God's heart, what kind of judgments we can expect God to make. Now, it's actually a Jewish story. It's not a Christian story. It's a Jewish story. But I think it's, it's uh, excellent in what it says. And it's set in the 17th century in Eastern Europe. And in that time, in that place, Judaism was divided into two big factions, if you like, two big parties. There was the Hasidim and the Miklidim. And there's a story that about a young Hasidim man who wanted to marry a girl from the Mitnagdim sect. And the father of the girl said, okay, you can marry her on one condition. The condition is that you break away from your Hasidim background and you convert, if you like, to, to being the Mitnagdim. And the boy, because he was in love, agreed. And so he left his old teacher, his old rabbi, and he... he uh, took up a new teacher and began following the way of the, the Mitnagdim and got married to this girl, and he was happy for a while. But despite loving this girl with all his heart, he also really loved the Hasidim way of serving God. So after a little while, he began sneaking back to his old teacher and learning his old way of following God. And eventually, because he couldn't do this for too long, it was just too difficult for him, he openly confessed that this was what he was doing. He said, I can't be a Miknagdim anymore. I, I have to return to being a Hasidim. And the father of the daughter, his father-in-law, consulted the teacher and said, well, the young man, you had a contract with this young man. You had an agreement, and he's broken it. And by law, the marriage is null and void. So the father took the daughter away, and drove the young man away. And the young man went away and he died of a broken heart. Now, the story goes that when the Messiah comes, the young man will complain to him about the way his father-in-law has treated him. And the father-in-law will point to the law and say, no, I was right in what I did. And the teacher will back up the father-in-law's story. And the Messiah will say, yep, the law is right. The father-in-law is right. The teacher is right. 
but I am the Messiah. What do I care about what is right? I care about the young man with a broken heart. See, our legal system, our judges, our justice doesn't account for broken hearts. Doesn't care really about broken hearts. Our judges do not make judgments based on whether your heart has been broken. But I think we might find that God does. I think if we've been treated unfairly or unjustly, I think God pays attention. I think if we've been treated unfairly or unjustly, and the only thing we suffered was a broken heart, I think God cares about that. I think God notices things like that. The courts won't be interested, but God will. But equally, we should not be surprised if God puts the same expectation on us of how we treat others. I think he makes it clear that what matters to him, what is really being obedient to him, is not obedient to a set of rules or a set of laws, but obedience to a vision. Obedience to a vision. Obedience to a mission and a lifestyle. That's what we're called to. And we live day by day, not by trying to keep the rules, but by listening to what the Holy Spirit is whispering to us each day and seeking to be obedient to that. That's how we live as God's children. That's how we live as Jesus' followers. God is judge. God is lawgiver. God is king. But he's also the one who saves because he values us and he values people. That's what's important to him. He does not desire, we're told, that any are lost. He does not forget the orphan, the widow, or the stranger at the gate. Those are the values that he judges by. And I think those are the values he calls us to live by.